0: This evening we're going to continue our study in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Two weeks ago, I had intended to get through verse 18, but as I mentioned, I wasn't able to do that. Just the first nine verses to look at that parable of the dishonest manager. And we saw there that everyone has resources and... Jesus uses the example of the dishonest manager to show that everyone has resources and we would be wise to follow His example, not in the dishonesty, but in taking the resources that He had and using them to to make friends. This man, remember, was on the brink of termination of his employment and he took the resources that he had and used them to put himself and his master in good favor with the debtors. And Jesus showed us in verse 9 that we ought to learn from unbelievers in that way, that, that we should take the resources that are at our disposal and think about what we can do in order to advance the work of God. You know, the song we sang earlier for the sake of the name said that, that we should rescue people from the flame, that we should have trophies of grace. I, I think that's speaking of people. Um that, that we should take the resources that we have, what kind of resources do we have that we can use, whether it be money or talents, abilities, a house, whatever it is, what can we use to advance the work of God so that when we arrive at the next life, we have friends waiting for us, like this dishonest manager did at the end of his employment. Well, in verses 10 through 18, we see three more ways in which we can use resources wisely for eternal benefit. And let's read this passage here and I'll uh, show you these three things. These three ways that we can use our resources for eternal benefits. Luke 16, beginning with verse 10. This is the Word of God. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches who will entrust the true riches to you and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's who will give you what that which is your own no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve god and wealth now the pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. Jesus is continuing the thought of being faithful with resources. And He wants us to see that we must be faithful with the resources that God has given us. And He shows us three more ways in which we can do that. First, We must recognize the value of our resources. Second, we must recognize the potential idolatry of our resources. And third, we must recognize the potential misuse of our resources. So let's look at that first one. We must recognize the value of our resources, verses 10 through 12. We have been given some resources to use for the sake of Christ's work, and how we use them is important to God. The point is not about how much we have in comparison to someone else. Now, well, I don't have nearly as much as them. The point is, how did we use the resources that God gave us? You might think, well, I don't have as good a memory as that other person, or I don't have a winsome personality like that other person, or I don't have as much money as that other person, and therefore, I can't serve God with what I have. And if we think that way, we have missed the point. God wants us to be faithful with the little that we do have. So however you evaluate your own resources, what Jesus wants is faithfulness to them. Not, well, if I had more, then I could be more faithful. The point here in verses 10-12 through is that we need to be faithful with what we do have. Have you ever met someone who is always complaining about their job and talked about higher positions and more money, while at the same time they were being unfaithful in their own job because they weren't trying their hardest, they weren't giving their best, they were talking about, well, if I were the manager, if I were the boss, if I had this position, I would do things differently. Well, what are you doing with the job that you have right now? What are you doing with your job of stocking shelves or greeting people at Walmart, right? I've known pastors who were always dreaming about better churches, more money, more people, more unity. All at the same time, they were not giving everything that they had to the church that God had already entrusted to them. What about congregations who are wishing for a better pastor? You know, if we had a better pa- pastor, we could be a better congregation. Or what about a husband who, has, who is unfaithful to his wife? You know, if only I had a more godly wife, then I could be a more godly husband or vice versa. Friends, those lies come from the very pit of hell and will lead us to a pathway of destruction. God has given you exactly what He wants you to have. As far as your spouse is concerned, God has given you exactly what He wants you to have as far as your church is concerned, and even your pastor, I hate to tell you. Okay? God has given exactly what you, what He wants you to have. And if you're always thinking, well, if only I had this kind of, and then fill in the blank, then I could be more faithful, then you're missing the point of faithfulness. God has entrusted you with the spouse you have now, with the job you have now, with the family you have now, with the church and the pastor you have now, with the money you have now, with the education level that you have now, and the understanding you have now. That doesn't mean we never should seek to advance in some of those areas, but but what are you doing with the resources God has given to you and that belong to you or are entrusted to you now? Look at these verses again, verse ten. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. So the reverse is also true. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Listen if you're not being faithful with the resources that you have entrusted to you now, when you get more resources, you're not going to change. You're not going to automatically flip the switch. Okay, I was unfaithful before because I didn't really have that much or I didn't have what I wanted. But now that I do, now I'm really going to be faithful. That's not how it works, friends. Jesus says so. He says if you're unfaithful now, you're going to be unfaithful with much. Verse 11, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? Why would God entrust you with more if you're not being faithful with what you have now? With what God has entrusted to you now? Verse 12 talks about uh, or i 'm sorry, verse eleven talks about this unrighteous wealth don 't think of it as you know any wealth is unrighteous. It means wealth that can be a, obtained in an unrighteous way he 's saying, I expect you to use the wealth that you have for the sake of god 's purposes. The principle is a one of lesser to greater if we can 't handle the money which belongs to who by the way belongs to God. We can't handle the money that God's given us and why would we think that God would entrust us with greater responsibilities that He's given to us? So a litmus, litmus test for where we are spiritually is to evaluate our resources and how we're using them for the sake of God. And, and just a very simple way to do that, by the way, is just to take your take your income and look at how much is being given for the sake of God's purposes. Hey, if it's all being spent on you and recreation and, and all these other things, and God's kind of, you know, if I have extra, then that, that might be an indication of how well you're using your resources. Same thing could be said about your time. Same thing could be said about your relationships and about your job and about your church. How are you using the resources that you have right now? We must recognize the great value of these resources no matter how little you think you have. Secondly, we must recognize the potential idolatry of our resources. Verse 13, the potential idolatry of our resources. Look at the text there with me. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, Notice this is not a command, this is a statement. He doesn't say, don't serve God and wealth, does He? Instead, He says, you can't do it. If you try to serve God and wealth, it doesn't work. You either serve God and despise wealth, or you serve wealth and you despise God. You can't do both. It's it's a statement of fact. It's an impossibility to do both. Only one can be your master. And if God is your master, then you'll use money to serve God. But if money is your master, you'll use God to serve your money and serve your pursuit of money. Think about that for a moment and try to put a face of two people that you know. One who uses their money to serve God. Somebody who uses their money to serve God. And then think of someone else who uses God to make money. It's a tragedy to see people who name the name of God and call themselves Christians living their lives for the almighty dollar. And God really just becomes a cosmic vending machine, effectively. That I'll serve you, God, as long as you give me what I want. As long as you give me the money that I think I deserve. But once you stop doing that, I'm gone. Jesus warned that this would happen in the parable of the soils. That there will be people who call themselves Christians and then they would leave to serve money. He said the Gospel will start to take root in some people, but then the cares of this world and the desire for riches will choke out the plant that looked like life initially because remember the Word of God was that seed that was spread and it looked like life was coming up, but no fruit was ever born and so it wasn't life. Thorns came in and choked it out. And in this case, the thorns were the desire for riches. Paul warned of the same danger. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs? Have you met any people who have called themselves Christians and who have given it all up for the sake of a pursuit and a love of money? You see, the truth is that it will happen among people who call themselves Christians, but it can happen to us. It can happen to us. And that's why Jesus warns of the danger. You cannot allow wealth to become your master because when you do, you have not served both God and wealth. You've served only wealth and you've despised God. Wealth has become your master and you better watch out that you are not finally destroyed. The remedy for the pursuit of money to the exclusion of God is found in First Timothy 6, 7, and 8. Two verses earlier from what Paul was saying. First Timothy 6, 7, 8 says, For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we should be content. The point is we need to be content with what we have. And this is why I began with verses 10-12. through 12. We have all these resources, but we see them as kind of just a little bit not as good as we'd like to have, and so we're always wishing for more. If I just had more, then I could do more for God. At the same time, we're not content with what God has given to us, and we're not faithful with what God has given to us. And that really is the answer to that that what-if mindset that is discontent. The answer is contentment in what God has given to us. So here in verse 13, Jesus doesn't command us to make a choice, but He certainly implies that we make a choice. He says you can't serve God and wealth. You've got to serve one or the other. So make a choice and make the right one. Serve God. If we are living to gain money, then we may as well admit it. But if we're living to serve God, we had better recognize the danger and the idolatry of money even for Christians. That money can quickly become our master and if we don't watch ourselves, we will be destroyed. And when I say destroyed, I'm talking about eternally destroyed. That we will turn from the faith. That's what, that's what Mark 4 is talking about. The parable of the soils. Many have, have gone down that road and were choked out. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 6. They've plunged themselves into ruin and destruction. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We must recognize the value of our resources. We must recognize the potential idolatry of our resources. And then, verses 14 through 18, number three, we must recognize the potential misuse of our resources. The misuse of our resources. And here, we have two ways that our resources can be misused, and Jesus ties them together. First, the misuse of wealth, which makes sense, because that's what He's been talking about, wealth. And then, the misuse of the Word of God. Sometimes we can use the Word of God to accomplish what we want instead of uh, using it as God intended. And so, he's going to uh, condemn the Pharisees and their misuse of the Word of God. But first, verses 14 and 15, the misuse of wealth. As my New Testament professor, Dr. Compton, points out in his study of this passage, he says, "...this passage is sandwiched between two parables." The first parable is about stewardship. That was the one we looked at two weeks ago with the parable of the unrighteous manager. Or Actually, now it's been three weeks. Uh, and then the second is the parable of the, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, a parable that's about accountability. And so, in between these two, Jesus is addressing the failure of the religious leaders and the responsibilities that were entrusted to them. Following God is not just about using our money properly. It's about the authority of Jesus over our life. It's about rightly dividing the word of truth. It's about not cutting out sections of His teaching that we don't really like, like Thomas Jefferson did. Right? We just if we don't like those parts of the Bible. We we'll just cut those out. And it's going to be clear that the Pharisees misuse the misuse the resources that they uh, that they have. And they misuse the Word of God that has been entrusted to them. But in verses 14 and 15, we see that they misuse money as well. In verse 14, they're scoffing at Him. The Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at Him. Now, why might the Pharisees scoff at Jesus with regard to His teaching on money? What problem would they have with Him saying, you can't serve God and wealth? Because following that statement it tells us that they were scoffing at Him because they were lovers of money. Well, in their their minds, money was a sign of what? It was a sign of God's blessing, right? I mean, think of all the Old Testament examples of how God blessed people with money, with resources. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, even Job at the end of his life, David, Solomon... And dozens of others. That these were righteous men whom God blessed with money, with great riches. And so, therefore, the Pharisees, in their minds, thought how could God despise people who pursued money? Rather, money is a sign of righteousness, is what they were thinking. And Jesus responds to that wrong idea. It kind of sounds right, right? God does bless people with money in the Old Testament in several cases, but He doesn't always. Jesus responds to this in verse 15. He said, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Jesus knows their heart, and God the Father knows their hearts. Their pursuit of wealth was not about receiving God's blessing. It was about gaining approval from men. And Jesus called it detestable or an abomination. The very opposite of an acceptable offering was an abomination to God. Something that that He hated, He despised. That's what Jesus said. This was their love of money. Their idolatrous hearts showed up in their love of wealth. And really, that's why Jesus was pointing out the mutual exclusivity of wealth uh, of God and wealth—that you can't have both, you can't serve both. You can only serve one or the other. And so the fact that you love money shows that you don't love God. That you're using God to get your money, and you're using your money to get your approval from men. It was idolatry. But not only did they were they idolatrous in their love of wealth over God, but also in their setting aside of God's word as their authority. Verses sixteen to eighteen, the misuse of the word of God. They set aside the authority of God's word. In verses sixteen and seventeen, Jesus sets up his rebuke of them by talking about the indestructibility of the Word of God. Before he shows their misuse of the Word of God, he establishes it its indestructibility. Because If we think about it, the Pharisees have been hanging their hats on the Old Testament law. And since these were the scholarly elites of the day, they figured they knew God's will. But Jesus is showing that the Old Testament law and the prophets are actually being fulfilled in Him. That this kingdom that had been preached since the time of John the Baptist is a kingdom that's about not a system primarily, but about a person. It's about the Messiah, Jesus. And it demands that people turn from their sins and believe in that person, Jesus. Notice the text, verse 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So, this Old Testament law had been proclaimed all the way till the time of John the Baptist. And since that time, the Gospel of the Kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. What does that mean? Forcing their way into the Kingdom of God. It's not like the people at the front doors of the Best Buy on Black Friday. They're forcing their way in. But rather, they're trying to get into the kingdom on their own terms. They're trying to kind of bypass the bouncer outside the the nightclub and just get in on their own terms. But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to allow that. And Of all people, the Pharisees should have accepted the message of John and the message of Jesus. Why? Because the law and the prophets spoke about this Messiah that came. He had been prophesied in the Old Testament that they knew. But when the prophets came to proclaim the Messiah, what did the Pharisees and their ancestors do? They rejected them, didn't they? They didn't want to listen to them. They injured some of them, killed others. And then when the Messiah Himself comes, they scoff at Him and eventually they will kill Him. So while the Pharisees think they have the corner on the religious market, the standard, Jesus says, is the Word of God, which will not pass away. That's what verse 17 is about. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. The word there that begins the sentence, verse 17, but is a transition that shows that Jesus is going against their wrong understanding of the law. You didn't get it. have all your knowledge of the Old Testament law and the prophets, you don't get it because it's easier for one uh, for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law. In other words, it's not going to happen. The, real, the reality is that the law will never pass away. The law is about Christ. It points to Christ. It shows people their need for a Savior and it prophesies of His coming and His restoration. But the law is not just a static object as if we can just kind of leave it over there to the side. Just mark it out as something that was done in history. We need to respond to it. The law demanded repentance and belief in that Messiah. And all those who are unwilling to do that will stand under the judgment of what the law demands. And so Jesus wants to show now how they have misused the Word of God. And that's why... Uh, this verse 18 comes at a time when it does because you might be reading through this. Okay, we're talking about resources and how we're using them and potentially using them as idolatrous resources and and then misusing our wealth. And then all of a sudden, what about this divorce that God is not happy with? How does that fit into everything? The next section is about the rich man of Lazarus. So where does this fit in? Why would Jesus talk about it at this time? And I think it's because He's given an example of how the Pharisees have misused the Word of God like they misuse money. That they take the Word of God and use it for their own purposes rather than for God's purposes. So Jesus just briefly lays out a prohibition against divorce. Verse 18. He says this, "...everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery." And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. You see, the Pharisees used marriage much like they used money. They were glad to have it as long as it accomplished their purposes. But if their marriage got in the way of what they wanted for themselves, if it got in the way of a position or an opportunity for more power or recognition... Then they had laws that they made up themselves, not the Old Testament, but they made up themselves that they could divorce their spouse, their wife, for the most ridiculous of reasons, because he didn't like her cooking. That was actually written in the 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 Jewish laws, the Jewish traditions. So they were quick to discard their marriage while appealing for or to the allowances for divorce, because Here in verse 18, we don't have any allowances for divorce. It sounds, if this were the only text on divorce in the entire Scripture, we would say, it is completely wrong always to be divorced. But this is not the only text that we have. And Jesus is just showing how they misuse it. You're misusing it in order to accomplish your purposes. You discard your wife so quickly when what God had originally intended was that there would be one man for one wife for one lifetime. And Jesus was telling them that when they used marriage like that or misused marriage like that, they were actually committing adultery. Now, again, He doesn't give any allowance for divorce here, and I don't have time to explore all those allowances that we see in other passages of Scripture. But if you're interested in studying the legitimate reasons for divorce, and I believe that there are several, I would commend to you my sermon from Mark 10. It was preached on September fifth, 2010, and it's on our website. And there, I discuss the other passages on divorce and explain my understanding of God's position on divorce. And um, it'd be something good to at least think about, even if you don't fully agree. But for our purposes tonight, we need to see that God was opposed to divorce in general when it was used. He was always opposed to it when it was used as a means to advance our position, when it was used to pursue selfishness while clinging to Old Testament law that said hey we can divorce our wife right moses made that law that's what the pharisees were doing they were clinging to these 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 things that helped them get by and advance in position and power but they weren't actually considering the value and the purpose of marriage itself and so what they're doing is they're not only misusing wealth to get what they want but they're also misusing the word of god to get what they want they're taking the Word of God and just using it where they want to and they're misusing it. So, three points of application that correspond to the three points of the text. okay? And they are actually the same as the the, uh, the points of the text. All right. Number one, recognize the value of the resources that you have. Recognize the value of the resources that you have. Christians, Jesus is teaching us that we must use the resources that we have been given for God's Purposes. We must recognize the great wealth, not just money that we have our, at our disposal. Yes, we do have money, and in terms of the rest of, of the world and the rest of history, we are wealthy. And so yes, we do have money at our disposal. But also, what other things has God given you? What other resources has He given you? Your family, your education, your understanding of Scripture, this church, your house. You could list hundred more things. Whatever God has given us, we must use all those things like the unrighteous manager did in order to advance himself in the kingdom of God. And the way that we do that is by using those resources not as tools for self-indulgence, but as a, re- as a, re- a resource to be used to serve God by serving others. So, how can you take what you currently have and use it to serve God by serving others? What do you have at your disposal that's not being used to serve others at all? Or what do you have at your disposal that's not being used to serve God as much as it could be? Recognize the value of the resources that you have. Don't sit around wishing you were in a different position or wishing you had more resources. Consider the resources that you have now and be faithful with them now. God's not going to entrust you with great riches when you're unfaithful with the limited ones that you have now. Number two, recognize the potential idolatry of your resources. The potential idolatry. It is completely possible to receive gifts from God and then over time come to depend on the gifts and to love the gifts more than we depend on God and love the God who gave them. We can turn something that was given to us as good, we can turn it into an idol for ourselves. And now we can, instead of using the gifts to serve God, we can use God to get gifts. And say, you know God, I like having a relationship with you because I get a lot of good things. You know what happens when those things are gone or taken from us? We can't hold on to God. Because we were just using it. We want the things back. And and we can have we can have a meaningful existence as long as we get the things back, whether that be a a person, a relationship, money, a job, a position, power, whatever it is. That is our true God. That is our true the, the true one that we follow. It's the one that we depend on and love the most. And before we know it, God just becomes the means to an end rather than the end. We serve God as long as He gives us what we want. Friends, it's impossible. It is impossible to serve both God and wealth. You are either going to hold to the one and despise the other, or hold to the other and despise the one. So make the choice. Make the choice to follow God and use your resources, everything that you have, that God has entrusted to you at your disposal to serve Him. Number three, recognize the potential misuse of resources. The potential misuse of resources. God values something more than the accumulation of earthly wealth. That's not a sign of favor that you're going to receive from God just because you have more money than someone else. God wants you to value His Word because we don't live by bread alone. We don't live by money alone. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God wants you to value His Word, which will abide forever. It's amazing that we can even take something as pure and timeless as the Word of God and twist and mold it into our own little idol so that it does for us what we want it to do. You know, the passages that are intended to tell us one thing, we take and we twist them and use them to say something else so that it will advance our purposes, like the Pharisees are doing here in verse 18. You know, they're taking this, this uh, allowance for divorce as a means to discard their wife. We can do the same thing. We just take the Scripture and twist it because we don't want to think of God in, in such a way or we don't want to think of uh, God's commandments for me in such a way. So I'm going to take this and I'm going to change it a little bit. We've taken the Word of God and turned it in our own little idol to accomplish what we wanted to do. And above all... I think we need to value the Word of God because it's God's revelation to us. It is the clear expression of our Savior Jesus on whom we must depend. The kingdom is coming. God's not going to check bank accounts to see who, if you're eligible to enter. You know, if you made this much money, then I'll let you come in. He's going to allow you to enter on the basis of a relationship, on the basis of faith. Whether or not you were... Trusting in him, whether or not you trusted in his son and what he uh, what he revealed to us in coming to this world, dying for us and giving himself as our perfect sacrifice and coming to life as a a way to show that he conquered death, that's what God is going to use in order to allow you into his kingdom, not a bank account. so don't you misuse the resources that you have instead, use those resources to gain friends in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the reminder of the value of our resources, the potential idolatry and misuse of our resources. We need to be challenged in this way often because sometimes our resources these things that we have and and even good things like these can turn into idols in our life and we can turn you in, into a uh, some kind of a, a genie in a bottle where we're just wanting things from you rather than serving you and worshiping you with everything that we have and lord what a tragedy for us as christians to get away from you as our King and our God and the One who is worthy of all of our worship, worthy of all of our praise, worthy of the best use of our resources. And so we pray that You'd help us to give of our best to You, our Master, and give of the strength of our youth and we, being armed with the sword of the Spirit, be able to conquer the things in this world through the power of Christ, And we pray for Your help as we seek to do that. Lord, help us to reprioritize our values and how we use our resources so that You are pleased with us and that we are using those things to the best of our ability and that You can uh, accomplish good through our service to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.